Hello, and welcome to the Bureau 42 Greatest Science Fiction Film Tournament Podcast. This time we're kind of crossing over also with the Greatest Science Fiction TV Show Tournament, as this time we are covering the film Macross, Do You Remember Love? A anime film from the 1980s, specifically... Specifically, uh, 1984... And because of the subject matter of the, of the film, we're also going to be talking about Macross, uh, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, that is, a tele- anime television series from 1982. And sort of also, because of this, we're also going to be talking some about the first arc of Robotech, <laughs> which came to the U.S. kind of a little later. So, I guess the best way to start off, of course, first, is to introduce my co-host, David Stark. Yeah, uh, pleasure to be here again. Uh, yeah. Okay, I I just need to put out this disclaimer first. Uh, I watched Robotech when I was a kid. I've watched it several times since. I own the DVDs. I enjoy it as a separate entity from Macross, and I will get the names confused back and forth. (laughs) I will be calling Hikaru Rick. (laughs) I'll try not to, but it's gonna happen. (laughs) <laughs> okay. We kind of need to talk, before we get into the TV show and the movie, we kind of talk about that this is one of those things where shows, where, or films, it's going to be hard to get a hold of this uh, if you're trying to watch along with the podcast. Macross, Do You Remember Love, has only received a original release in the United um in officially licensed English localized release in the United States as Macross Do You Remember Love once. It was originally released in the United States as a feature film called Clash of the Bionoids, which basically was done as kind of sort of changing the plot somewhat, changing the names and pronouns and that sort of thing, um, done by a studio called Celebrity Home Entertainment. It, it basically got mangled about as much as Warriors of the Wind did, if you remember from the uh, Nausicaa podcast. And... Then after basically Robotech got big, it got finally got re-released as a as Macross. Do you remember Love? But they the licensing company then got sued by Harmony Gold uh, because Harmony Gold, who released Robotech, kind of has been very litigious when it comes to the Macross franchise in the United States uh, to the point that, as a recent example, when we got a ha- when Hasbro t- released a Comic Con exclusive Transformer that was a bit too close in design to the VF1 Val- Valkyrie. Um, Harmony Gold sued Hasbro. I'll say that again in case you, you thought you misheard. Harmony Gold, small company best known for only releasing Robotech, sued Hasbro, owners of Battleship, of Transformers, of GI Joe, of numerous multi-million-dollar franchises and numerous very valuable IPs over a portion of one of their most valuable IPs. Well, that it it is interesting because way back in the 1980s. Um, the toy company that was making the toys for Macross licensed, the, uh, Hasbro got the toy rights to the VF1S Super Valkyrie and turned it into, I want to say Firestorm for the original Transformers TV show. And so one of the original Transformers toys was a Valkyrie. And, and because of that, uh, <laughs> Subsequent versions of that character have had to carry a very thin line between being changing it too much so that it's not recognizable and staying as and if they're too close, then they can get sued because Harmony Gold does own the Valkyrie rights for the VF1 in the U.S. Yeah, the um, interesting part of this is, so, Macross is a show created for Japanese television by three major studios. One is Tatsunoku Pro, who's done, if it's a big-name show, they big-name franchise, like, one of the biggest-name franchises in Japan, they probably, with the exception of, like, Gundam and that sort of thing, they've kind of done it. They did uh, G-Force, a.k.a. Battle of the Planets, a.k.a. Science Ninja Team Gatchaman. They did, they handled animation for, I believe, um, Mazinger Z. I'll have to double check, but they are a fairly big name. To the point that they they have gotten a versus Capcom game out. Um, so they handled the main production on the show. Um, however, two other major studios handled the plotting and animation. Big West and Studio Nui. I'm mispronouncing the name. It's spelled N U E. Probably Studio Nui is probably closer. 
and they handled things like design of the uh, Valkyrie, they handled writing and that sort of thing. Tatsunoku's big contribution was some of the animation, and most importantly, money. And so, for a big chunk of time, there's a massive ongoing legal battle in Japan over who owned Macross and thus who can make spin-offs. On the one side, we had Big West and Studio New. On the other hand, we had Tatsunoko and all of their lawyers. When, um, Har when Harmony Gold licensed Macross and two other shows, um, Super Dimensional Cavalry, Southern Cross, and... Genesis Climber Mospita for to make Robotech out of, they went through Tatsunoko directly. And so this leads to the a situation where with the where when companies in the US wanted to bring Macross stuff over, they were kind of had to either go through Harmony Gold or wait until the legal battle was over. So we got a sum total of outside of getting Macross itself. We got two other spin-off works, which we won't be talking about for a while, because they're both direct-to-video miniseries. Um, Macross 2 and Macross Plus. And long story short, while the legal battles in Japan have been resolved and determined that Tatsunoko owns the original Macross series, but Big West and Studio New have the rights to do as many spin-offs and ancillary works as they want, and they have the rights for the ancillary works. Harmony Gold still is kind of acting like they have exclusive U.S. rights the entire lot. So what this means from a release standpoint, if you're trying to watch along with this, is either you're going to be looking for some very hard-to-find, possibly very out-of-print VHS releases, or you're going to have to import things from Japan, if you're, if you're watching this through legal means. If you're going through other means, then the sky's the limit. Fortunately, the film has gotten a Blu-ray release recently, so if you're in the United States and Canada, good news, you share a region code with Japan. I can't speak for if the Blu-ray has English subtitles on it, but it is a possible option. I mean, it certainly knows lots, goodness knows, lots of anime fans back in the day watched anime with, you know, just the Japanese audio and no subtitles of any sort and tried to guess what's going on. It was harder for some shows than for others. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> So, we might as well get started with the show itself, and I kind of show in the film itself, and the film itself is a very odd duck. Way back when I was talking about Kelly Bebop the movie, I mentioned that when they're doing shows, um, films based on an existing anime, normally fit into two forms. The spin-off film, where it's a side story that's not actually part of the existing plot, or it's a sequel or alternate ending that wraps up an existing story, or it's a compilation film, where they take footage from the show and retell the story while re-editing the footage together, and then reanimating some scenes that they weren't able to do satisfactorily on a TV show budget. Macross, do you remember love, narratively does what a compilation film does, do retell the story, but it does not use any, reuse any footage at all. Everything is completely reanimated, and it's gorgeous. It is, it is, the animation is gorgeous. At times, it is actually so detailed, it is incredibly confusing. I'm speaking, of course, of the initial opening shots and, uh, of the Macross itself, where they have gone into exquisite, gorgeous detail for every line that you would find on a plastic model, and it moves, and suddenly your eye, you have no idea where you're supposed to be looking, because everything is glorious. <laughs> yeah, it, it is extraordinary in terms of the quality of the animation, and particularly when it comes to mechanical detail. The only work I can think of, I've seen, which I can draw a similar comparison to, is there is a non-science fiction OVA called Area 88, which is focused a lot about fighter combat. And they put so much detail into the animation of fighter planes and fighter planes being destroyed that you'd have, like, a missile ripping into an F-16 and you'd see the interior components of the jet engine before the jet engine is completely blown apart into bits. And they'd animate each of the little bits of shrapnel flying out as opposed to just kind of superimposing an explosion over it, relatively speaking, or having it consumed from by an explosion. This, it's... And also at the beginning, we get our first really major difference from the show. In the show, the Zentradi, um, the show follows a basically a conflict between humanity and an alien and two alien races, well, not with two alien races, but an alien race called the Zentradi, which is split into two factions, a male faction, the Zentradi, and a female faction, the Meltrandi. Well, actually, uh, in the, sh the original show itself, the Meltrandi as a concept didn't exist. They were just females Zentradi. Yeah. So, between the, the male and female Zentradi. 
And while the, these Eltradi are, are aliens, for the, for the show, like with Star Trek, these Eltradi speak the, ang- the language that the show is made in. In Star Trek, the Klingons spoke English. In Macross, the Japanese release, they spoke Japanese. And much as with Star Trek the motion picture, when we first meet the Klingons, they're speaking Klingonese. When we first meet the Zentradi, they're speaking the Zentradi language. They designed a language for this mo- for this movie. And we get a lot of dialogue in Zeltran, I guess would be the term for the language. I don't think we have an official term for the uh, Zentradi language. Or... Not one that I'm familiar with, at least. Yeah. So, the other major sk- difference is... The movie skips over the first episode and takes the plot exposition we got from the first episode and kind of gets rid of it. The show starts, we learn that humanity has been in a long, big global world war for quite some time until an alien spaceship crash lands on Earth. And which one humanity basically learns the lesson that, 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 doc, that, um, Ozymandias was trying to tre- teach humanity at the end of, uh, the graphic novel version. Watchmen, that there are alien threats that we need to unite against, and so humanity joins together to investigate the this crashed spaceship and determine who sent it and what and why or how it got here and what built this. And the ship crashed land on Macross Island, and over the course of the ship and over the course of the time leading up to the first episode, the ship has basically been completely reverse engineered, rebuilt, and is about to be launched. And then. We end up by accident attracting the attention of a small Zentradi sort of battle group who comes to take on mankind because we sent a signal from accidentally triggered a booby trap and a signal on the ship which called them over here. And that's what pretty much kicks things off. Long story short, the uh, Macross ends up using its full drive to try to get away, ends up near Saturn, and also ends up losing the full drive, and in the process bringing much of the civilian population to Macross Island and a small carrier battle group with it. And so the civilians end up basically resettling inside of the massive space... Uh, Space Fortress Macross, and the warships basically get welded to the sides of the, uh, to, to the arms of the Macross. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the Daedalus and the Prometheus, and, oh, the payoff when they first use the Daedalus attack, which consists of punching an enemy ship with the carrier, then opening the doors, and having all the fighters inside just shoot all their guns. Uh, it's one of my favorite scenes in the show, because it's so satisfying. <laughs> and we don't get that in this movie, which is kind of a shame. No, we, no, we don't. Uh, there's a lot of things, uh, just like little technical aspects uh, of the technology that they advanced using the ship that we don't get in this movie. Um, the, the Macross's barrier system is completely gone both in the globe form and the much less useful but actually functional pinpoint barrier system. Mhm. So, we start off, and so we we start off another big major change is we we learned that the um Macross has been out there for basically about 3 months. They've been cruising that making their way back to Earth over the course of 3 months. They're currently being attacked by the Zentradi, and we're introduced to Skull Squadron led by Roy Fokker. Oh my. And God. and Hikaru, uh, Hikaru Ichijo, I'm horribly mispronouncing that name, because there's a Y there, and I'm completely missing it, and also uh, Max Genius. Best pilot in the show! Universe! Yes, best pilot in the show! Best name ever, kind of, too. And anyone else? Um, yeah, their third guy, uh, Kakizaki? Kakizaki, uh, Kakizaki. And they head out to fight the Zentradi. Meanwhile, inside the ship, we have... Lin Min May, pop idol, holding her first concert, which is uh, which is our next big kind of shift. Because in the show, first episode, Hikaru or is it um what was the name in the English version again? Rick Hunter. Rick Hunter meets Lin Min May, whose name is not changed for the English version. The spelling is just adjusted because in the original Japanese version, she's actually kind of Chinese. It's L I N M I N M A I or M E I. Anyway, she um they meet on Macross Island, where her parents run a Chinese restaurant. Is it her... And no, it's not her parents. It's uh, her aunt and uncle. Oh, her aunt and uncle. Because her parents, okay. uh, in the movie, are dead, and in... Well, actually, no. We have no idea what why she's on Macross in the movie, because there's no mention. <laughs> yeah. And part of... The, and over the course of the... In the show, over the course of several episodes, as... 
Hikaru and Minmay have uh, Lin Minmay have a relationship, uh, get in a relationship. She enters the Miss Macross contest, becomes a pop idol, and they grow apart as her fame kind of gets in the way. Here, she's already established pop idol. Um, this, though, though this is her first concert, she's presumably just released albums and hasn't toured yet. And this actually leads to a bit of kind of head scratching on my part at this point because. In the show, the songs that she performs at certain points actually tie into the narrative. Her first song, My Boyfriend is a Pilot, is a pilot, is written about Hikaru. Because her boyfriend is a pilot. <laughs> yeah, I actually had yeah. that. I was like, wait, I was watching, I was like, wait, she's, she's singing her boyfriend is a pilot, but she doesn't, yeah, her boyfriend wasn't a pilot. She didn't have a boyfriend. Yeah. So it's, I suppose they're just trying to make it a generic pop song, like just sort of a pro, you in Spacey Forces song? I guess. It's like the J-pop version of the Bookie Wookie Bugle Boy of Company B, I guess. <laughs> wow. And she also has her singing um, Shao Pai Long, which, is the so- which in the show is the theme song for the movie that was made as a vehicle for her cousin, who was a martial artist, which she also had a supporting role in. <laughs> and uh, whereas here, she's just, just singing it. Presumably, I guess she's already made. She and her cousin have already made the film before um, doing her first concert tour. It's it's kind of weird, just from a narrative standpoint, when you have a show where they actually care about how the songs are. In, where in the show they actually put a lot of attention to how the songs are integrated into the show, as opposed to just integrating songs and songs into the show. So we get this big space battle, which is very well done. Um, very and introduces members of the audience who perhaps haven't seen Macross yet to what's known as the Itano, Itano Circus, which is um, named after animator uh, animation director Ichiro Itano. And basically, that is if you watch anime, you see a whole but and you see a ship or thing fire more missiles than they have any possible way of carrying, and they just kind of fly in this seemingly haphazard pattern. Um, that is the Itano Circus. Uh, you might also be familiar with it as the Macross Missile Massacre. <laughs> Indeed. And during this battle on the Zentridi side, we're introduced to Exodol and Britai, the uh, commanders of the of the group. Exodol is kind of literally the brains behind the operation, in the sense that he has a very large head and he's incredibly intelligent, as opposed to Britai, who is who is a cunning strategist. But when it comes to the science stuff, he tends to leave that to Exodol. Yeah, well, you've got the general and the royal smart guy. <laughs> Pretty much. And in this... The meet cute between um, Hikaru and Minmei is ca- is different, but kind of similar. In the show, Hikaru crashes his fighter into Min- into the restaurant where that, that Minmei's aunt and uncle run, and where which they live over. And then they end up getting caught in the fold drive, and end up being stuck inside in the depths of the Macross for a few weeks. Uh, until they finally get rescued. Here, um, some Zentradi get into the ship, get in, in, inside the Macross. Uh, Hikaru defies orders and goes in after them, and then manages to save Minmei from after the gravity gets knocked out, or messed with in some fact, get, gets disrupted. And they end up, once again, inside the depths of the ship. Though, this is really the first point I found where the show suffered from its uh, time compression. In that there was no real, uh, they didn't really display any real sort of time change, time traveling going on. Yeah, you can't tell that they were there for weeks. I mean, even if you put in the assumption of montage, you might say, oh, they're there for a few days. Well, at, at was one point, it was like, I had no idea. And then, like, late, like two scenes later, it's like, oh, you were with that girl for, like, three days. You didn't get anywhere with her. I was like, oh, it was three days. That was completely unclear. Yeah, I mean... While montage lets you display the passage of time in a passage of long periods of time in a short fashion, the one weakness of montage is unless you put in your visuals key markers to show the passage of time, like sunrise, sunset, that sort of thing, or a calendar or whatever, you can't actually tell how much time is passing. How much time has passed, and that definitely hurts things here. We also get here during during the fight scene. We get the first appearance of the Macross's main gun. And actually, Macross's gun doesn't, Macross cannon doesn't play that much of a role in the show, aside from, like, the, the big appearance here and a couple, maybe a couple other places. Yeah. Though, to be fair, we do get to see it set a portion of the atmosphere of Saturn on fire, which is kind of impressive. Yeah, yeah absolutely, but aside from that firing, does it ever actually fire again in show? 
I mean, in the movie, yeah, it, no. Oh, yeah, in the I, movie. Because, yeah, uh, I mean, in the show, they use it all the time. Yeah, it's like the one g- thing they have that can actually, like, make the Zentradi back off for a bit. Yeah. So, oh, one other big thing they kind of set up here, particularly once uh, Hikaru and May are mentioned, is that apparently when they left Earth, things were going really bad, but they don't say quite how bad. And we, when, we do, when we do get back to Earth, we do see how bad it was. Really bad, as it turns out. Really, really bad. Uh, we'll get to that when we, when we come to it in the film. So, Hikaru decides to take Minmei on an outer space joyride in a training Valkyrie, which is a nicely done sequence. Again, a lot of these sequences here are set to Minmei's music, including some new pieces I think were written just for the just for the movie because I don't recognize them from the show. I mean, in the show, they basically they did they reused like three or four pieces for most of the show, like for the first twelve episodes. I hoped you liked My Boyfriend is a Pilot, because you're going to be hearing a lot of it. But, uh, so we get the, um, flying around Saturn and through the rings and that sort of thing. And it's a very nicely done sequence. It basically ends up concluding when when Misa Hayase, uh, one of the bridge officers, and um, Minmei's cousin, who in the film, it's not said what her relationship is, aside from maybe she he's her, her agent. Or handler from the talent agency or something, but there's no actual familiar relationship implied there. To, to, to bring them back, and they end up getting kidnapped by the Zentradi because the Zentradi have been picking up the signals from her concerts and discovering element evidence of culture, and they want to learn more about what this culture is. Oh, yeah. It has... One of the best scenes, or at least most amusing scenes for me in the movie, was this entire huge ring of Zentradi warriors with, like, shields up and guns out, and one of them has, like, a really long stick, and he's poking a Minmei doll, and when he does it, it just starts singing, and they all recoil, terrified. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's an interesting way of depicting what... A different form of what um, Ian Banks in his culture novels refers to as a out-of-context problem. Normally when they refer to it in the, sh- in the, the books, an out-of-context problem is like, oh, you're relatively, you're like a medieval society, and then aliens show up. You don't know have any mental context for what this is and how to deal with it. Um, as far as you know, the aliens are angels, or they're gods, or, so- or something else. Here, it's a society which doesn't know how to comprehend music, and doesn't know how to comprehend things that aren't weapons. Um, that has been so militaristic and warlike that, and thanks to the fact that the Zentradi, the Zentradi and the Meltrandi, who, um, the female Zentradi, are all cloned, they don't do sexual reproduction, that they're not even familiar with the concept of love or romantic relationships between anybody. Yeah, it got to the point where they couldn't understand why men and women were together and not fighting. Yeah. Which sort of... There's... A, this this movie really shows its age in that Roy Fokker is a straight-up misogynist. <laughs> yeah, which is very different from what he is in the show. In the show, he is, he is the big brother figure for... Hikaru. He is a mentor, both in terms of being a pilot and in terms of getting along in the world. He he treats everyone with dignity and respect. Um, he also is in a interracial relationship with Claudia, one of the bridge crew, which for Robotech puts it one of the earliest cases of a inter of a uh, mixed race relationship on a television show that was broadcast across the entire country. And additionally, the um, Claudia. The person who Roy's in a relationship with is on the bridge crew, but in a more active role than, say, to a certain degree, Uhura was on Star Trek, in terms of she's a combat officer, she's a weapons officer. Yeah, and due to the way she interacts with other characters, she's basically third in command of the Macross itself. Indeed. It's because of how the, the, the for that matter, both the Japanese script and the uh, and Robotech, were, Macross was localized as Robotech, and they didn't change that much when they turned Macross into, into season one of Robotech. It's a show that is, for the 80s, incredibly progressive. Mind you, of course, again, caveat for the 80s. Yeah. So, um, well. It it shows its age, and Misa Hayase is, she is just, she's setting women's lib back several decades. That is true. Although, she does get better by the end. Yeah, they get better by the end, but as a member of the bridge, she's kind of a, 
stick up the butt jerk. Now in the sh- now in the show they kind of set this up because she and particularly why she's not interested in dating guys or whatever because in the show they set this up that she's basically not exactly widowed but she had a fiance who was went to be stationed at the Mars base and all contact has been lost with the Mars base and he's missing presumed dead and and actually because the Macross is so far out she's hoping to find that maybe they can find him on the way back and they 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 do find the base and it's basically wiped out. Yep. Which was a really interesting scene, although not a very good one progressively, because she's just because when she finds his, you know, his empty quarters and there's no one, and everyone on the base is dead, she's just sort of like, "No, leave me behind." And Hikaru has to sort of just pull her out. But after that, she becomes a much stronger character, in my opinion. Indeed. Whereas in the film. They give this about, like, three seconds of, like, literally three seconds of discussion of this. All we see is we see her, we see her, who we assume is her bow, and then we kind of see him, like, blown away. Like, in the wind, like, just... Yeah, yeah, in the wind, as if he was, like, made of dust. And we have no explanation for this. If you've seen the show, then you know what this means and what they're referencing. But if you haven't seen the show, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah, this this is really a movie where you... This is not a movie for people to introduce them to Macross. This is a movie for people who love Macross and who know what's going on. In- indeed. And Macross was certain... To be to be fair to the film, Macross, the show in Japan, was a hit. And so this works in Japan. In the U.S., if we'd gotten a theatrical release after season one of Robotech came out, it might kind of work. I don't know how Robotech wasn't that successful. Where I don't know, you could really, don't know if you could really pull it off. Yeah, I'd say the probably closest thing we we have here in the U.S. for this sort of phenomenon is sort of the Nickelodeon movie, or like the Disney show movie, where they have an established character who's done really well on TV, and they just make a theatrical release, like a two-hour episode to just cash in. Yeah, similar sort of thing. The Star Trek movies are kind of like this, too, where they're basically, in some cases, very much extended episodes of the show, and... Because of because Star Trek has, or for that matter, the X Files movies as well, because those franchises have an incredible fan following. Um, you don't need to tell the audience who Balder is, who Scully is, why they know each other, and why they work together. You don't need to tell everyone, oh, Spock's a Vulcan. Um, you don't have to spend lots of time playing Spock's a Vulcan. He's logical, that sort of thing. You just set it up and go. Most people have watched the show, and particularly nowadays in the days of, of um, particularly since the invention of the popularity of home video, both in the VHS days and with DVD and Blu-ray, even more so. Yeah, but even even with shows like that, there's just sort of that cultural osmosis. Someone who's never seen Star Trek, they still know who Kirk and Spock are because it's just one of so part of that culture that we have, and that yeah. we flicked on the Zentradi. <laughs> Indeed. So this actually leads us to. Roy to to the attempted rescue of Misa Hikaru uh, Minmei and her agent from the Zentradi ship. The Zentradi tried to particularly Bertai and Exodol try to say, "Gabe, show us this culture stuff." And Minmei sings a little, and the topic of kissing comes up in in the ep- in the show. This is actually the first kiss between uh, Hikaru and Misa because I don't yes. think that Minmei's there. Minmei's not Min-Mei there at all. Minmei was not captured. Uh, in the show, the captured people were Hikaru, Misa, and Kakazaki, and yeah. <laughs> Hikaru, and the and the Zentradi are like, "Well, we want to see this kiss." And so Misa's like, okay, Hikaru, kiss me. He's like, I have a girlfriend. You're going to have to make it an order. Why me? Why not Kagazaki? And she's like, I'd rather kiss you. <laughs> <laughs> and Kagazaki is, he's sort of this big, he's a big fellow. He's sort of got that very loud personality going for him. Uh, I think pretty much everyone knows this guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he is the big guy archetype. Yeah. So, so, um... In the show, they're rescued because, <laughs> kind of clever, uh, they're rescued by Max, who, in his um, Veritex, switches to his Battleoid mode, which is the walking mode, because the the, uh, the Valkyries can shift into three modes. Uh, fighter mode, kind of a hybrid mode, which lets it shoot all its missiles, and then a walking mech mode, and so he, which is the uh, Battleoid mode. So he switches to Battleoid mode, he then knocks out his Zentradi and steals his uniform and dresses the robot up in the Zentradi uniform, which, and it works. And it's, it's definitely the reason I fell in love with Max, because he's just, he's my favorite character, hands down. <laughs> 
And it's fantastic at, because the sheer chutzpah to dress your robot up in clothes <laughs> and then just sort of walk in, take the prisoners, walk out, and then somebody notices something's wrong. <laughs> Instead here, Roy comes in, guns blazing, literally, manages to, um, we get, uh, Misa and Hikaru to the training Valkyrie, but gets put off from Minmei. And this is where Roy dies. In the show, Roy goes into combat mission while either sick or something well, he, else. He goes into the combat mission, but it seems that like his, sh- his ship got hit and he got like shrapnel in his gut b- based on the blood, w- the bleeding. <laughs> But he, like, he toughs it out, he lands the fighter, he comes back to his quarters where Claudia is baking him fruit salad, which I believe is the episode title, and then dies. He, it, it's a tragic death, but it's kind of an awesome death. Awesome tragic death. Whereas here, he just kind of, he literally goes out in the blaze of glory. Yeah. Oh, and worth mentioning, he's drunk during the entire rescue. <laughs> yes, he is. He is absolutely, he, he is sloshed. In fact, I believe he's called out during the fight and someone says, like, Icar says, Roy, are you flying wild drunk? And it leaves a pause something like, do you expect me to go up in this sober? As <laughs> I, I believe is basically his response. Yeah, it's... Ah, he... They're, they just made so many... So many characters are basically the same, but they just made so many changes to some of them that... I honestly found the movie, while it was well done, I found it off-putting a good deal. Yeah. And so what happens is Misa and Hayate, um, sorry, Hikaru, end up getting kind of knocked out of the, uh, um, their fighter gets knocked out of the Zentradi's ship before it folds away, but they still kind of get caught in the wake of the fold, and instead of getting warped the Zentradi ship, they get sent to Earth. And this is where we learn the fate of Earth. And Earth has been utterly leveled, which in the show, by this point, has not happened. The Earth does get leveled, but... It's much later. The way it happens in the in the show is actually the Macross, the, the captured crew gets makes it back to the Macross. The Macross actually makes it back to Earth and kind of cruises around the Earth a bit for a bit while the UN Spacey, Spacey kind of figure out what the heck do we do with these people because they're actively being chased by the Zentradi, and among other things, Toronto gets loved. Yeah, Toronto like is like, okay, well, you guys are like 70,000 refugees and a thousand plus crewmen, you know, they're, they're being dicks. Come, come on, come, you can be here. We'll take your civilians. We're Canada, we're awesome like that. <laughs> exactly. And and the, and the Macross is attacked while over Toronto. Macross tries the global defense system, and global barrier system, and it gets overloaded, blows up, and destroys Toronto entirely. It's actually, in the show, it's a very harrowing scene. It's one of the things where I'm surprised they got away with that, particularly for the Robotech version. Yeah, well... <sighs> Amongst all the shit people give him, Carl Ma- Masek, Masek, however you want to pronounce it, really did love this show. So he really did his best to keep it as pure to the intent as possible. And the only reason it was turned into Robotech was because no network would take it as just a 36, 37 episode show. Yeah, you gotta stretch it out to something that you can sell in syndication. Exactly. And... Well, and it worked. I mean, two halves of that, like, the two-thirds of that show are basically almost entirely unchanged from their source material, pretty much. Yeah, uh, Southern Cross. Yeah, I said two-thirds. So, on Earth, so at, at this point in the movie, humanity, all that remains of humanity is the civilians on board the Macross. On the show, what happens is basically Bretai um, and the UN Spacey basically form a truce. They've been exposed enough to culture that they've come to evaluate and want to preserve it, and join first join forces to fight back against the main Centradi battle fleet. Which just basically wants to come and wipe them out. And and what ha- and what happens is the Trotty battle-, battle Fleet gets fought off, but at the cost of Earth is leveled. So It's like one half of Earth is basically glass, because they're on one side and they just shoot everything. Yeah, so one half of Earth is, rend- is basically rendered kind of... Is, is, is leveled. So humanity is now in je- is now more in jeopardy than it was before, because it, it, there's, there's so few of humanity left. But... There's still, still, there's still kind of the glimmer of hope of a future we can rebuild, and there's 
agriculture left and that sort of thing. You have enough biodiversity in terms of plant life on Earth and animal life and that sort of thing that you can get it back. Yeah. Um. Uh, but in the sh in the movie, basically Hikaru and and Misa go from Tokyo to like Europe, um, all points of the globe, and yeah, everything's gone. Yeah. Uh. It's not exactly. It's not mentioned in the movie or the original show itself, but. Uh, if you put the pieces together, it's really interesting if you watch uh, Macross 7, the sequel show to the original show. Um, because, and one reason for the Zentradi Supreme Commander, okay, in the English version it was Dolza. I want to say in the Japanese it was Bodil, Bodilzar or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, the reason he wants to destroy the Earth is because uh, the Zentradi are basically... Oh, disobeying his orders, which is exactly what happens uh, to Zentradi under the influence of the Proto-Devilin from Macross 7. So, it's very likely that he saw a Proto-Devilin incursion and wanted to wipe it out immediately. Yeah, although it bears, though, they should mention to those who aren't necessarily in anime, Macross 7 is not currently licensed for US release. And it never will be. For yeah, be between the very bizarre plot in certain in certain aspects and the music licensing rights, plus the Harmony Gold thing I mentioned earlier, the only way you're going to get the show is through other means, or if it gets a Blu-ray release in Japan. Yeah, um, and, and you're going to pay out the note for that Blu-ray release. Anime in Japan is like 50 times more expensive than it is in the United States. Yeah, because they don't like their otaku over there. <laughs> well, they like the, they like their otaku's money yeah. over there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and one really interesting thing about the Macro Seven is the uh, the band that provides all of the rock music, Hummingbird, who have actually performed as uh, fictional band Firebomber. Um, their music needs to be licensed. The Firebomber music music needs to be licensed in its entirety for the show, because that's sort of the thing. And Hummingbird has currently released thirteen albums as Firebomber. <laughs> no one is gonna pay that. Yeah, that is the kind of thing where. I mean, really, the only like studio I can think of who'd do that uh, no longer exists. Genion, which was worthy pioneer, because they didn't just have a DVD distribution wing; they had a CD distribution wing, and so you could license the the move. They could license the show and also license the music and be able to distribute all the music themselves as well. But they no longer exist in the United States, so. But you could so. <laughs> If you're really interested in watching Macro 7, you could probably go to, go to an anime convention and get bootlegs. It would yeah. probably be the cheapest way. Yeah. So, also, kind of mention with this is, this is a really interesting way of, of doing an a, a, a sort of nuclear or alien bombardment apocalypse like this. Normal, it, in terms of, it's, it's showing but not telling in a really weird way. Like, Fist of the North Star, which we'll be talking about later when we talk about the Fist of the North Star movie. In the show, they did not show the nuclear apocalypse, but we saw the aftermath. Mad Max, we see the aftermath. We don't know what caused the nuclear apocalypse or what the nuclear apocalypse looked like, but we know what happened. Until Terminator 3, we didn't see the nuclear apocalypse triggered by Skynet in that series. Terminator 3 didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, to the point of, uh, one but... reason I love Sarah Connor Chronicles was it had the premise of Terminator 3 never happened. <laughs> uh, retcons are awesome. But in the movie for Fist of the North Star, we open with seeing the nuclear apocalypse in its gory detail, literally. Whereas for um, Macross, the TV show, we see the destruction of Earth, or the, the, the effective destruction of half, of half of Earth from the bombardment by the Zentradi forces. We see the destruction happen, um, and we, we see the aftermath. We see, what is we see what was lost before when we're cruising around trying to figure out what to do with the Macross. We, we see the full picture, the, the life before, the destruction, and the rebuilding. In the movie, we don't see before. We don't see life on Earth before the war, before things get wiped out. And we don't see things get wiped out. We just see the aftermath. And to a certain degree, it's kind of in the very effective aftermath, doing the aftermath because just how much of a blasted waste the Earth has become. But I still kind of miss having that bit more time on Earth and seeing how things were before. And then we, and then through through all this sequence, um, so we we have kind of. We have Hikaru and Misa slowly kind of falling in love in this sort of, we both have PTSD together kind of way. Yeah, it, 
This is one of the really interesting things about Hikaru, is that he only starts liking Misa when she starts acting in a traditionally feminine way. Crying, like, setting up a dinner table for him. I mean, before this, he sort of, like, really didn't like her, but now he has feelings for her. So, well, but well, it could just be the fact yeah. that he spent time with her. <laughs> Well, part, well, the sequence I kind of mentioned how, how he's the, the setting up a table scene is basically Misa and Hayate find either, depending on how you want to look at it, either Atlantis or Sunken Relay. I, it, 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 it's it's a it's a city by built by the proto culture. In the show, they talk about the proto culture. They don't really show it. They don't explain what it is very much. They know it exists. Uh, some of it bits and pieces come through later shows, a little bit in Macross Seven, a little bit in Macross Zero, but we don't really get a big info dump of what the proto culture is until this movie. It turns out they're the ancients from Stargate. <laughs> Pretty much. They, they developed the ability to reproduce without having to go through sex, and split into male and female factions, which then went to war with each other. Meanwhile, the third faction went, you know, we'll build a colony ship and go somewhere else, and hopefully everyone will mellow out, and that sort of thing. And they wrote as their get-everyone-to-come-back-together-and-mellow-out thing a love song, which we, we hear at the end of the, of the film, and it's, it's the, the title track of the movie. But yeah, with the scene with uh, Misa and Ukaru, where Misa sits at the table, the way it's played in the movie is it's less Misa being just deliberately feminine, but also kind of trying to create a bit of normality. Because she's traveling to this blasted city, and she finds a house with dishes in the sink, like you, literally like you do. And the dishes work a lot like, you know, normal people dishes. Although they're designed differently, and so it's, it's kind of trying to create a slice of normality in a world where normality has ceased to exist, and it's, I mean, it, it, on the one hand, it's Misa being very feminine, but on the other hand, it's kind of a touching scene. Oh, absolutely, and, because uh, when we do get to the city, we do find out about them, and it really shifts the, uh, the presentation of the, well, misogyny from earlier scenes, because it's really about how they, the men and women had difficulty dealing with each other, and it was, it definitely changed how I felt about Roy. Well, Roy's actions. Still don't like this Roy, but... Cast it, cast it in a different light, I should say. Yeah. So, for, at this point, the Macross ship itself has returned to Earth, picked up the distress signal from Misa and Ikaru, brings them back on board, and we kind of get a debriefing and that sort of thing. And they return to the sort of the town on the ship, and they hear a Minmei song say, playing, and they're kind of like... like Ikaru kind of realizes, oh, I have kind of completely moved past... Minmay, and also I noticed that, that the song on there references Turkish coffee. And after everyone cruising, after the cruising through the blasted earth, I'm like, huh, there is a thing that will never ever exist again in the world of this film. <sighs> yeah. I mean, even if coffee continues to exist, it's not going to be from Turkey. There is no Turkey. It's gone. Yeah, they better hope there's some coffee trees on the Macross. Yeah. My, my, my hope kind of thing is I, there's a thing called the Seed Vault. That's meant to preserve, um, basically agricultural biodiversity in case of any mass extinction event, whether it's nuclear apocalypse or whatever. I'm kind of hoping that thing's built deep enough and hopefully has some animal genetic material as well in there that they can use that to repopulate the earth. Yeah, because the only animal we see is this truly disgusting fish that Hikaru catches. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. So, um... Meanwhile, um, also through the sequence, we learn that um, that Misa can, re can generally read and understand the language of the protoculture. Well, that's not terribly hard to understand if we assume that it's the same as Zentradi. And being the ship's second officer, she's probably been trained to deal with him. Because we saw earlier she could pretty much understand the Zentradi language. So, okay, I, I just assumed it was uh, the same language. All right. So, I would put the Zentradi main commander, um, Bodil Zer, and Exodol, and Bertai, and all of them, show up and ask for a truce with the Macross, because the Zentradi found on a protoculture world a culture artifact, which is basically music, but with no lyrics. And they got Minmay to kind of figure out the music, but we need somebody to write lyrics for it. And fortunately, while... Misa was in the protoculture city. She found some kind of poetic text, which she, which we, which she, as a revelation, this must be the lyrics. And 
while they're trying to put that together, we get an attack by the Maltandi again, and we finally have Max, Max and his main love interest from the show, Milia, um, meeting for the first time in combat, which is kind of how they meet in the show, but in the show what happens is they meet in combat, Milia goes, this person is my rival, they are equal to me, I must find them and defeat them, so she goes into micron, Microne form, which is normal-sized human form, and infiltrates the Macross, finds Max, gets the fist fight with him, and eventually... And Don't forget about, before they have the fist fight, they have a video game showdown. <laughs> In the oh, arcade. That's right. <laughs> yes, they have what would, under normal circumstances, to any bystander, be a date in the video arcade. But no, this fight is serious. This fight is really serious. And and eventually this ends to with, with, with Milia falling in love with Max, and they get married. Yes, with one of the most terrible, terrible bits from Hikaru in the entire show where Max tells him, I've fallen in love with an alien and I'm going to marry her. And Hikaru's like, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. There is no way. Here she is. Oh, she's gorgeous. You made the right call, man. <laughs> <She's> just like, <laughs> what? Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, and Max and Milia, in, in, in particular, remember the, the genius, the genius family probably becomes in the Macross franchise the recurring link of all the shows, pretty much. Particularly of the sequel shows, because I think there's a genius on the ship in Macross Frontier. I think uh, very possibly. Uh, I haven't seen Macross Frontier since it first came out. So, but he is the military head uh, in Macross Seven of the Macross Seven fleet, with Milia as the civilian head, and which is absolutely nuts if you think about yeah. it. Well, she used to be the military, but uh, like the last mayor of Macro of. Macross Seven civilians like retired, and there were, and she was really popular, so she got voted in. But it seems she really doesn't like the job. But she's one of those; it's her duty, so she'll do it. And there, and they have seven daughters. The the yep. last of which is a main character in Macross Seven. Yeah, and the uh. first daughter actually shows up at the very end of the original show with the yeah. creative name of Comilia or Baby Millie. <laughs> oh, and those two don't age. No, th th they don't. Or if they age, they age so gracefully that Dick Clark would go, "Man, what's your secret?" <laughs> well, yeah, because they physically their hairs they change hairstyles, but their faces are the exact same. Thirty-seven years later in Macross Seven, and the actual the director for Macross Seven actually had a really great reason for this. Is he said aging is just a state of mind, and Max is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I read that, I was like, okay. Yeah, so we get, so eventually, Bolzer gets impatient, and the head of the Meltan, and basically his Meltandi counterpart, with with her own big battle fortress show up, and I'm like, right, well, it's fighting time. Oh, oh. And if Macross gets, and if the Macross gets caught in the middle, then it gets caught in the middle. Of note about the female ship, it is just, it is gorgeous, and it is terrifying because it looks very much like a series of uh, razor di uh, spiky discs just stacked at uh, different lengths, just stacked one on top of the other. Yeah. The mechanical design for the Zentradi ships here is great because it really gives up the idea of Zentradi ships, the Zentradi don't build things. And so everything has this, gives the impression, well, they're grown. It has a sort of mechanical organic feel that's different from like your H.R. Giger alien thing, but while still having that kind of sense of being so totally alien from what we're familiar with, even though the things in them, the, the, or the beings that live in them and, and pilot them and operate them are humanoid, very like practically indistinguishable from humans, aside from the fact that they, that at normal height, they could squish us like a bug, literally. Yeah. <laughs> so we get the, uh, basic fight here uh, between the two sides, and the turning point is Max has to go to to Minmay, who has taken the break the breakup very poorly, <laughs> and, and talk her into singing the song. And by taking the breakup poorly, she says the line, the effect of I want of I don't care if everyone else dies except for the two of us, which leads to Hikaru slapping her, which. 
I, I I'm normally not don't go with that sort of thing in my in my movies. It, it, it's the idea of slapping the hysterical person is a very out of date and kind of massage and kind of misogynist concept. But you know, when everyone else on the ship are the last of humanity, and after everything Hikaru's seen, particularly on Earth, yeah, it's one of those. I it's one of those. I can't believe you did that, but it's a damn good thing you did that. <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 or at the very least, I should be angry, but I can't muster up the, the the will to be mad at you in this occasion. You mad at you or the writers? So, though, what kind of actually kind of shakes that that shakes Minmay out of it isn't so much the slap as the gravity gets knocked out again, and it I guess it kind of reminds her of when they first met, and she goes, "You're right. I need to sing this for the people who basically kind of who want to have a future." And so, rather quickly, we managed to get a musical arrangement of the sh- of the song together and a stage set up with lighting on the Macross bridge, while Macro, um, which in turn the song managed to get both the most of the most of the surviving Zentradi and the surviving Moltrandi to join forces to attack Bodlezer's ship, and basically they bust through and. Hikaru personally blasts uh, Bodelzer with basically every missile and every bullet in his cannon. Yeah, he just blows his head off. And it's, it's, you know, animated in glorious detail. You can see the missiles and the shots hitting him in the face. And I'm like, wow! Yeah, actually, actually, it bears mentioning, this movie is more graphic than the show. If you're expecting something of equal blood and gore level to the show, you're not going to get that. Um, there's going to be a little bit more blood, blood and gore. The Blu-ray version actually cuts out a few decapitations and bisections. Um, but there's, but there's still decap- decapitations and bisections there. Kakizaki gets, ki- um, gets killed by a precisely aimed, um, shot by a Moltrandi to the face through the cockpit of his ship. Uh, Milia. But then the ship, then the ship then explodes. Yeah, Milia at one point, uh, in her female armor, uh, punches through the faceplate of one of her male, of one of, like, her male com- uh, opposite number and proceeds to unload her Gatling gun into his face, and we see it from inside his the suit. So, yeah, it, it is. Um, this is very much the yeah. In the TV show, we had standard network standards and practices to deal with. This is not the TV show. This is the movie. We can go wild if we want to. And speaking of an anime movie, it did have the requisite anime movie shower scene. Yep. With Minmay now in the in the sh- in the show, she had a, a shower scene too, but they actually put more time on it in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, one thing worth mentioning in the sh- in the show, I mentioned that uh, Amelia gets micro gets my clone-ized when she joins the Macross crew. In the movie, Max gets, for lack of a better term, Max chronized. <laughs> I would have gone <laughs> with gigantized, he- but I like Max chronized. <laughs> <laughs> because when we, because when he takes part in the battle, he is the same size as Milia and piloting a Meltrandi uh, battle suit. Oh uh, yeah, the Quedloon Quedloon Raoul. Which yeah, the, Zin, uh, the Zeltrandi Meltrandi Zintrandi Meltrandi suits are, just have the weirdest names. Well, to be fair, the names are in an alien language, so yeah. although. This, yeah, they really cut down Millie and Max because the scenes with Millie and Max are their initial duel, the aftermath where he's outside his cockpit and she falls out of her suit. He's like, oh, she's gorgeous. And then immediately next, they're mustering together for the fight. And he's max chronized. Yep. <laughs> I was like, I feel like I'm missing something here. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Probably talk about the production on this in terms of who there's the names on this because lots of big names if you know Japanese animation who are on this show. You have um you have Shoji Kawamori who we'll be talking about later with the um CG Appleseed movies. Uh, he's basically his thing particularly back in the day was fit was vehicles that turn into giant robots. He ha- he did Macross mechanical design for Macross. He worked for I think he worked for a bit on Transformers. I want to say he worked for a bit in like season one, like early season Transformers. He did both Megazone 23 and Mospita, which had ro- which had motorcycles that turned into giant robots. 
Yeah, he did. Yeah, he he did the original mechanical design for the Transformers. So show so you have Shoji Kawamori to thank for Optimus Prime. We have Ichiro Itano, as I mentioned, on as animation director for the Macross Missile Massacre. We have Noburo Ishiguro as one of the um, directors on this, and he did oh he did he did Space Battleship Yamato. He did some of Lupin the Third. He did. He also did part of Megazone 23. He did, so he's done lots of big, so he's again, another big name. Um, Ishiguro unfortunately passed away, uh, two years ago. We have, I mentioned Hideaki Anno. He was one of the key animators on this. This is one of the big things he worked on prior to the formation of Gainax, which we'll be talking about later with, um, when we get to the movie, uh, Wings of Honiamis. It's pretty impressive. On, on the cast list, um, I'm not going to say Mari Iijima was has been credited as the first major solo female pop idol in Japan, um, but she's a big name, and Macross kind of made her a big name. We we have a few bits of English dialogue in there, but unfortunately not many big name American act, um, voice actors for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, well, occasionally we get big names that show up, like Blood the Last Vampire, which we'll probably talk about when we do when we do either the greatest fantasy film tournament or greatest horror film tournament. Uh, it was a U.S. Japanese co-production, so all the Japanese language dialogue was done in Japanese with Japanese voice actors. All the English language style dialogue was done in English with English voice actors and that sort of thing. So, um, anywho, um, I was talking about how these fared in the tournament. Macross, do you remember? Love the movie did not qualify for the film tournament, which is not as far as it, it, it was in the, it was, in, it was in the initial voting, but it did not round, advance to this round two, the round of forty-two, for reasons that I can understand. The film's release, legal release in the U.S., was incredibly brief. For the greatest science fiction TV tournament, though, Macross did in fact uh, advance to the round of forty-two. Did not advance much further than that. Got bumped out by Misfits. Really? Yeah. <sighs> My suspicion is we just don't have enough anime fans voting on the uh, poll. So if you're an anime fan and you're listening to this podcast, come to Bureau42.com more often, particularly when we do these tournaments. We could do with your voting. And what's particularly odd is I don't think we got Robotech. I mean, Robotech was in the voting, but it did not actually advance to the round of 42. Well, that's... And, and, and the thing is... You know, it could make a reasonably good debate in terms of, of the arcs of of uh, Robotech that are a be- of the best, but I'd probably say that if somebody came up to me and said, the best arc from Robotech was the Macross saga, I'd be very inclined to agree with them. Not to say that the Mospita adaptation wasn't bad. It wasn't. But I but that is a show, but the first arc started extremely strong and did extremely well. And... I wouldn't have minded if Macross had fared better in the tournament. Now, mind you, next round would have come up with come up against Terminator: The Sarah Connor Chronicles. Well, if we go by longevity on television, Macross blows it away. <laughs> True, but then after that, we would also would have run into New Battlestar Galactica. Okay, so, yeah. at, at, so which point it might so with a bit more anime support, it might have made two more rounds. No, if you, if you go by strength of the show in its entirety, Macross is definitely better than battle than the new Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, but the Battlestar Galactica does run into problems toward the end. It, it doesn't mess the bad as bad as Dexter. Okay. It doesn't mess the bad as badly as the end of Dexter did. <laughs> Since you're not able to see the video feed on oh this, my. that was David smacking his hand with frustration at the horrible ending of Dexter. I have a lot of problems with Dexter. The ending is just... He's a serial killer, and he gets away with it! Uh, <laughs> spoiler tag, 20 seconds ago. <laughs> uh, well, that's okay. That show's probably not going to be on the spot, be in any of our tournaments, particularly because it took the, because the fantasy elements from the, t- from the novel series are not present in the TV show. <sighs> Probably for the best. I don't know. You could have a tournament of (laughs) television shows based on books that went way longer than the series and sort of lost their way. Alternatively, shows adaptations of series that were fantasy in the television in the um, novel version, fantasy or science fiction in the TV in the novel version, but were changed to non-fantasy or science fiction in the book for in the TV show or film version. Okay, so that leaves us Dexter and. 
<laughs> oh god, there, there's that movie. It was based off a video game series. Uh, Max Payne. Max Payne. Yep. So I'd say that Macross could have should have fared better in this tournament. Some of this is to a certain degree for the movie. Part of this is definitely is not the fault of the film. It's not even the fault of the studio that made the film. It's the far it's the fault of things that are completely beyond the studio's control. Honestly, if Considering the love and care that was put in this film and making animation as detailed and gorgeous as it was, I'd be willing to say that the anime that the people who made this film would probably rather that these all this legal shenanigans with Harmony Gold wasn't going on, so it could have gotten the release that it deserves in the U.S. Absolutely. Um, I mean, this this is. If you're willing to roll the dice and find out if the movie has a decent subtitle track or not, and you want to try importing the Blu-ray, this is a movie which I which I would say stands the Blu-ray release, the the Blu-ray upscaling, um, and the, the the high definition release. There's just so much detail and great stuff going on in this movie in the animation that it's just kind of a feast for the eyes, particularly if you are a fan of animation just on a pure meet level as a medium, not just as a, as a, in terms of the narrative and that sort of thing. Again, it's a situation of you have to import a Blu-ray from Japan. Yeah. Oh, uh, so one thing I forgot to mention, because I forgot about it, uh, I, I can't remember if this was actually mentioned in the show or if it was just a fan theory, but one way to explain all the differences between this movie and the show is that this is that Macross, do you remember love is the in universe movie version of the events. That actually sounds reasonable. I'd say that um, I think we we actually see a portion of the filming of it in Macross Seven. Yeah, remember. yeah, when they've got Firebomber doing some uh, stunt work. Yep, and because because Exodol plays himself in the film version. Yeah. Oh, and uh, actually, there to lend credence to that, there's a bit in Macross Frontier where they have uh, the protagonist of that show uh, doing the events from. Uh, Macross Zero, with the great universe of these weren't the kind of fighters that we'll do. Oh, don't worry, we'll change that with with CG. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> we'll we'll fix it in post. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> if you're a fan of animation, again, and you feel like you feel up to importing the Blu-ray, definitely worth watching. Not just an anime fan, but an animation fan in general. I really hope. I feel I feel slightly bad saying this, but I hope that Harmony Gold goes out of business so that this le- so that the legal barrier that they represent goes away. So movies like this can be so Macross. Do you remember Love? Can get a legal U.S. release. Macross Frontier can get a legal U.S. release. Macross Zero can get a real U.S. release. Because I think. Well, uh, speaking of Harmony Gold, they did just have a Kickstarter for, and it failed horribly. Yeah, they closed it down before it even finished. It was for a, a new Robotech show based on Carl Masek, who is deceased now, for, has been for past several years. Um, had some designs he wanted to do for a new Robotech show, but. Harmony Gold basically just makes its money off of selling DVDs of Robotech these days, and the licenses they get from Palladium Books. So... (laughs) Yeah. Um, And to a certain degree, back in the um, early 2000s, we did get get a Robotech... a couple Robotech video games in the U.S. Uh, Yes. uh, I actually have both of them. Uh, The first one uh, was set... the first two levels were set... um, during the attack on Macross Island, and then later the battle at Toronto. And then after that, it was basically dealing with the Zentradi on Earth. And it was a pretty good game. Decent. Uh, it was okay. Uh, the second the second one... Uh, Battlecry, that was it. The first one was Robotech Battlecry. The second one was uh, Invasion. And and that one was set during the uh, Mos Pita um, arc. Uh, and it was a third-person shooter. Uh, with bit where you could turn into, you could ride your motorcycle, or you could just wear it as armor. So derivative of all the first-person shooters coming out at the time. I mean, it was a straight-up Halo game. Halo rip-off, rather. Yeah, um, so I think that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, I apologize for background noise for those listening. I have recently gotten a new dog, and she is currently becoming acclimated. And next, hopefully, future episodes, she'll be more comfortable and we'll have a little bit less background. Uh, don't worry, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> yeah. We'll fix that with CGI. Yes.
Um, so in the end, I would say um, it's gorgeously animated. Uh, you will be lost if you haven't seen the original uh, Macross or at least the first arc of Robotech. But I'd give I'd, I'd recommend people giving it a watch. Yep. Um, if you're in the United States, um, Ma- Robotech is available for streaming on Hulu and Netflix. I can't speak for international Netflix um, users, but in Canada. Macross was, until 2013, available for streaming on Hulu because it gotten a dub, gotten a licensed dub release from ADV, which carried over to Section 23 when ADV filed for bankruptcy and reshuffled their assets. Assets. The Section 23 relates to the portion of the Texas tax code, the uh, bankruptcy code, or allegedly references the section of the Texas Bank- bankruptcy code that allowed them to reshuffle their assets and let them keep things in print while still filing for bankruptcy. Uh, there also is a dub-only DVD release that was released by Animigo back in the day, if you want to go that way. Yeah, uh, for people who want to watch the Robotech, basically the only difference between in the original between Macross and the first arc of Robotech is the protoculture itself. In Macross, it's an ancient culture. In Robotech, it's a power source. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I'd say is because the DVDs of Macross are out of print, but the ones for Mac for for Robotech are not. Robotech will probably be cheaper to get a hold of. Like like for a while you could get like I think even still now you can get like all three seasons of Robotech, which is like about like ninety something episodes for like sixty or seventy bucks. Uh yeah. Amazon might have it cheaper. I think they've got the entire yeah because they just like last year they did a complete Robotech collection. So Harmony Gold did. <laughs> Yeah, so, now mind you, if you're outside of the United States and having to import it, your co- um, cost things may vary, particularly in terms of, like, if you're in Canada or... I don't know if Mexico uses the same DVD reason- region code uh, as the U.S. does. I think so. Uh, but then again, there's a big prolif- um, uh, multi-region or, or all-region DVD players are a bit more rights- widespread outside the U.S., so there's that. All right, so checking right stuff, they have... They have the uh, Fran- They have. They don't have the big Robotech protoculture set anymore. Um, that's sold out. But they have each season available for thirty for like thirty seven bucks each, not including tax or shipping. For Amazon, you know, this is Amazon US. Your prices may vary with Amazon UK. Well, hey, you weren't kidding when you said it's cheaper on Amazon. Currently, Robotech the complete set, all twenty discs, including the series and the movies. You can give them movies we'll a wash. Get... Don't don't watch them. <laughs> well, by movies, I think they're also including the Love Live Alive for for Mospita, which is actually a a redub of a movie for the uh, that was released in Japan for uh, Mospita. Yes, basically a mu- a music video collection. Yes, it's much. included. Yeah, but that runs forty bucks. But if you have Amazon Prime, that means you also well, if you don't have Amazon Prime, that qualifies for su- for your super saver shipping. So it's all good. Compared to a list price, by the way, of $90, but still, it's, it's 20 discs, 3 TV series, 3 movies, and more special features than you can shake a stick at. Yes. Uh, worth noting is that these are not actually new DVDs. Um, these are the repackaged uh, individual seasons put into one box with the movies in there. Uh. I actually own the complete collection <laughs> because I, re- I really do like Robotech, but I do appreciate it as a separate entity than Mac- from Macross. So I will watch the English Robotech and I will watch the Japanese Macross. Alright, so with all of the bases covered, um, if you have any feedback, post on the comments on the site and stay tuned and please review us on the, on the Bureau 42 Master Podcast audio feed on either iTunes or Stitcher. Good reviews bump us up and get us more listeners, which is nice. Also, tell your friends about Bureau42.com. All the cool kids are, are going there. So, with all that covered, um, I'm Alex. I'm David Stark. And stay tuned for the next podcast.